Welcome to The Healthy Dose, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by Crystal Run Healthcare. We interview our award-winning providers and executive leadership to discuss important health issues. As we are physicians, this series is meant to provide important information on various health topics, but is not intended to provide a diagnosis, treatment, or substitute for a visit with your healthcare provider. Hello, and welcome to The Healthy Dose podcast. We've had so many episodes that I'm no longer telling you what episode it is. <laughs> it is the sixth episode for all of you out there who've listened to each, which is just my parents. So thank you for <laughs> listening. I'm Dr. Jonathan Nasser, the Chief Clinical Integration Officer and Medical Director at Crystal Run Healthcare. And I'm delighted to have Dr. Jessica Harris with me today, a gastroenterologist at Crystal Run Healthcare. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you, happy to be here. So Dr. Harris, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Harris. I'm one of the gastroenterologists here at Crystal Run. I joined the practice in August of 2021, and I'm in the Middletown and Newburgh locations. So um, with Dr. Harris today, we're actually going to talk about Colon Cancer Screening Month and Colon Health Month, which is March, for those that didn't know. But before getting into that, as you know, I like to start with our guests with a few questions just so that you can get to know them better. And so first, for Dr. Harris, I, I just wanted to just start with a, a, a poem and ask you to fill in the blank. It goes like this. I never saw a purple cow. I never hoped to see one. But if there were to be a purple cow, I'd rather see than be one. Awesome. So for those of you who don't know, Jessica, tell everyone where you went to college. I went to Williams College. So Dr. Harris and I are the two physicians at Crystal Run who went to Williams College, and our mascot is the Eves which is represented by? A purple cow. A purple cow, yes. So we're the purple cows. So I was so excited when Dr. Harris joined us. I was reading her <laughs> bio and saw that we have another Williams College graduate here. So go Eves. Go Eves. And uh, excited to have her here. And we were just talking about some commonalities about our experience <laughs> at Williams and reunions and all that fun stuff. So here's my next question for you. I noticed in your bio that one of the things they really like to do is travel. Mm -hmm. So um, I just traveled recently, and it seemed like the place that I went, COVID, was over. But let's just assume that COVID really is over, which we all hope it is, and it seems like we're heading in the right direction. And you can go anywhere in the world and not be worried about COVID. Where would you like to go? I think I like to go to one of the more remote islands, maybe the Maldives, you know, places that before, you know, you had to worry about access to health care, you know, probably some tropical island. Great. It's been a while. So actually, the interesting, the Maldives just came up. My son was talking about that. I'm not sure why he was thinking about it, but where is the <laughs> Maldives? I had to look it. it up because I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think Indian Ocean, a, a healthy plane flight away. <laughs> that's <laughs> what he, sun every day. <laughs> that's what he said. Apparently, he found it by playing the, geogra the geography version of Wordle. Oh, absolutely. I play that every day. What's that the one called? The Wordle. What is it again? The Wordle. The Wordle. Uh, Wordle, Wordle with an extra L. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I've not played that one. I'm a big Wordle fan. Are you a Wordle fan? Absolutely. Have you had any ones? No. Twos. Twos. Rarely. Okay. Yeah. Rarely. Awesome. We'll talk more about Wordle <laughs> yes. later. Well, great. Well, it's great to have you here, and thank you again for joining us. So just to start off with, again, March is Colon Cancer Screening Month or Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And I just was wondering if you just talk to and let, let folks know about colon cancer. How common is it? And what are some of the symptoms? And we're going to talk a little bit about prevention and screening, but just give us some statistics about colon cancer in general. Uh, sure, absolutely. So colon cancer is the third most common cancer diagnosed in men and women here in the U.S. The lifetime risk is about 4%, um, more common in men than in women. 
And what are some of the symptoms of colon cancer? So there might be symptoms or there, you know, might be no symptoms, but usually there's a change in bowel habits, there's blood in the stool, change in the shape or the caliber of the stool. And you mentioned something interesting, which was that that sometimes there is no symptoms. And I think, you know, for those of us um, in medicine, and I'm a primary care doc, we do a lot of cancer screening. Mm-hmm. Colon cancer screening is probably the gold standard as far as kind of a, a routine and testing and prevention. In your experience clinically, just in your practice, in making this diagnosis, is it more common for folks to have no symptoms? It's more common for patients to have symptoms, and sometimes these symptoms are overlooked, whether by the patient, it's something that they've been dealing with for a while, so they, they tend to ignore some symptoms, or potentially they've brought uh, concerns to their doctors who have you know, said these symptoms have been going on for a while, and they've been overlooked. Okay, great. Well, glad we're talking about it. Um, One of the things that I wanted to spend a good amount of time on is how to screen for or test for colon cancer. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really one of the the things that we're working hard on here. Mm -hmm. Our screening rates at Crystal Run are in the high 70% range, which is actually pretty pretty good good. around the country, Mm -hmm. but still not as high as we want. It means about 20% of our eligible patients aren't Mm -hmm. or haven't had colon cancer screening. Mm -hmm. Um, So who should be screened for colon cancer? At what age? And, 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 And are there any reasons you might screen somebody even earlier than average? Right. So everybody should be screened for colon cancer. That's believed to, you know, be healthy enough essentially for the next 10 years. So everybody, it's recommended here that everybody begins colon cancer screening now at age 45. And this is a new change over the past year where the guidelines have traditionally recommended starting at age 50. And um, I think, you know, people may have heard about some famous cases of colon cancer in the news. Mm-hmm including Chadwick Boseman, who died right. of colon cancer last year, which was obviously shocking. And he was in, I think, in his early 40s. Right. W- what was the reason for the change to 45? The reason for the change was that there seems to be an increased um, incidence of colon cancer now in those aged from 45 to 50. So that has been steadily increasing over the past few years, enough where it makes sense to start screening early. Okay, great. And sometimes my patients are concerned about whether or not a you know, screening for colon cancer is covered by insurance and they're reluctant, they're worried about having it in particular with having a colonoscopy. Is that an issue that you've come across with, with your patients? I have not come across it actually over the past few months. Um, the guidelines now recommend starting at 45 and insurances abide by the guidelines. Yeah, I think what we saw on the practice side uh, wearing that hat that I have and is that um, in the beginning, and this change was recommended, I think it's been a little over a year ago, Mm -hmm. there were some insurances that were reluctant to cover the 45 to 50 year old old group for a colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. We've kind of moved past that now. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, and we'll talk about this in a minute, all of them were covering stool-based testing for colon cancer screening, um, uh, even if they weren't covering a colonoscopy. We have sort of moved beyond that now, Mm -hmm. so good. Interestingly, one of the things I wanted to share with you is that we've looked at this at Crystal Run as well, and our screening rates are lowest for the younger group. So 45 to 50, actually that's a new recommendation we're catching up, but even the 50 to 55 year old group is one that isn't screened as frequently or as, as is recommended as some of the patients who are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, so just wondering if, if you have any thoughts about that. And then also if you could just comment on when, when, when we should stop screening for colon cancer right, at what absolutely. age. I suspect that, you know, those that are 50 to 55, they're younger, they're healthier, they might not be as tied into the healthcare system. So it's possibly that they're not seeing their primary doctors as frequently or just feeling well. 
and you know think that because they're feeling well you know they don't always follow up with the preventative measures yeah i think that's true and as someone who recently crossed into that screening <laughs> age uh, sometimes we may not want to admit that we're now in the group that right, needs right. to be screened it might take a little while for us to convince our patients that way so and how about on the other side when, mm -hmm. when should people stop uh, getting screened i think you mentioned earlier but maybe clarify if I'm right. 70, should I stop? If I'm 80, do I need a colon cancer screening sure. anymore? Sure. So the recommendations are to screen from ages 45 to 75. At age 75, it really becomes a discussion about risks and benefits. And if there's a 75-year-old that's higher risk, you know, for example, has a history of colon polyps or has people in the family that have had colon cancer and they're healthy, it's very reasonable to go ahead and, and you know, perform a screening exam for them. So between 75 and 85, it's really a discussion between you and your primary care doctor and the gastroenterologist. Okay. And how about, is there ever a scenario where someone should start getting screened for colon cancer before 45? There are a few different scenarios in which case uh, people should be screened earlier, and that's if they have a family history of colon cancer and a first-degree relative, like a sibling, even a child or a parent that was diagnosed early, they should begin screening 10 years before that diagnosis or at age 40, whichever comes sooner. Okay. So if I had a 45-year-old brother that had colon cancer, then I should start getting screened at 35. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Okay. Great. Um, so let's assume that, uh, our, you know, that the listeners have decided that they would like to be screened for colon cancer. What are the different ways that we can screen for colon cancer? And you know, what do you typically recommend in terms of having that conversation with patients? Sure. So now there are multiple different ways to screen for colon cancer. In somebody that's considered average risk, meaning they've never had polyps before and nobody in their family had colon cancer, there are a few different options, including stool-based tests. There's even a CAT scan that looks specifically at the colon or the colonoscopy itself. And they're all considered reasonable for somebody that's average risk. And on the stool-based test, some people might have seen advertisements on TV for one called Cologuard. Can you talk about Cologuard and what that is as opposed to you know, what, what uh, other stool-based tests there are and kind of how they're different? Absolutely. So the Cologuard test, this is a test that's a good screening test. It's done every three years. And what it does is it tests for blood and also potential DNA. Um, and if this test comes back positive, then it's recommended to proceed with a diagnostic colonoscopy. There's the Cologuard, there are other stool-based tests that look only at blood and not at DNA markers like um, the Guaiac tests, and those are recommended to be done every year. So for patients that are trying to figure out which of those tests to have, um, and knowing in our organization, most people that get screened for colon cancer have a colonoscopy, it's about 90% or so. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you help them decide if they have questions about that? I think if somebody that's average risk is hesitant to proceed with a colonoscopy, I think the best test is the test that is done. So I would, I rec you know, we always recommend the stool-based test. If there's somebody that's slightly higher risk for the procedure or they need to, they're on blood thinners and they need to hold their blood thinner medication, it might also be reasonable to start off with a stool-based test. And then if that's positive, then to go through with the actual procedure. Okay, yeah, good advice. Um, and then what about um, for the let's say that you have a, this, you, you mentioned kind of the follow-up and the frequency for the stool testing. When you have a colonoscopy, mm -hmm. you know, how often do you have to have a colonoscopy? So colonoscopies are recommended every 10 years if there are no polyps and if the preparation is good. 
depending on the preparation, if it's not as clean, or if there are polyps, then it's recommended to come back sooner. So it all depends on what you find on the colonoscopy or if there's a family history of colon cancer. Okay, great. So sometimes my patients um, are have a thought in their head about what a colonoscopy is like and they're, whether they're concerned about having uh, something put inside their body or they're concerned they've heard about mm -hmm. the prep, um, mm -hmm. they're worried about that, or maybe they've had a colonoscopy before and they had a bad experience with the prep. Mm -hmm. um, just wondering if you could kind of talk through, you know, if you were, if I were your patient, how would you explain to me what to expect if I'm going to have a colonoscopy? Absolutely. So I always tell patients that for the colonoscopy, the worst part is the preparation beforehand. When they arrive the day of the procedure, it's smooth sailing. Before the procedure, depending on their bowel frequencies, their bowel habits, we'll have them be on a clear liquid diet the day before and then take a large volume laxative the night before and in the morning before the procedure. So the tough part is the preparation, but once they arrive, the procedure is quick, they're sleeping and comfortable, and they wake up in recovery, usually saying it's the best sleep that they've had in a while. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. And what about this thing about you can't drive home? Right, so the patients are given anesthesia, so we always recommend that somebody drops them off and picks them up so they can get home safely. Okay. Yeah, actually, we, we require it, right? Yeah. They can't, they're not allowed right. to drive home after right. having it. And that sometimes is a barrier for our patients because they, yeah. they need a family member to, to help them. And right. maybe that's another reason, I don't know if it's come up with you, where I, I've said, well, listen, let's just get the stool test done right. and we'll figure out the ride and mm -hmm. that issue later. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of the, when, just to get into the details a little bit, but when you take the prep and you mm -hmm. have a liquid diet, mm -hmm. are people generally up all night getting you sort of prepping or at some point are they done and they, they can kind of sleep a little right. bit before the exam the next day? So everyone's a little bit different. For some people, we divide the large volume laxative in half. So for some people, they're able to go through the first half, go to sleep, and then when they wake up and start the second half, they start having bowel movements and start running to the bathroom every, every so often. Um, so everyone's a little bit different. The night before is tough. We're intentionally giving patients diarrhea to clean out their colon mm -hmm. so we can see. Um, so a little bit different for everyone. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, so uh, years ago, the prep used to be this horrible stuff, uh, 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 phosphosoda. Um, is that still used anymore? Or what, what is the actual large volume laxative that you were talking so about? So nowadays we use Miralax and mm -hmm. Ducalax. Um, and we divide that in half. You know, for some people that are eligible, there's something else called Suprep, which are pills that you can dissolve in water. That's generally recommended for people without kidney disease. So it depends on the person. If somebody has a history of constipation, we might have a more rigorous bowel preparation. Okay. Got it. And does Miralax taste uh, bad? What does it taste like? So Miralax, it's a powder. You can mix it with any clear liquid. So depending on the clear liquid, you know, you might taste nothing. You might taste bland, but it's it, relatively agreeable. Okay. Yeah. Now, you may be too young to have tasted phosphosoda. Have you ever tasted it? No, I have Ooh. not. It's, uh, it's awful. It's like swallowing like 100 times concentrated seawater. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> not, the, not the most pleasant. So the Miralax is awesome. So <laughs> anyway, not to give away too many details. All right, well, great. Um, and, and the other thing I just wanted to mention in terms of the, the colonoscopy, um, when someone has a colonoscopy, what, what would be some of the different outcomes that might happen in terms of findings that would help us figure out if they 
you know, you sort of mentioned this earlier, but what are we looking for? Why does colon cancer screening work? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what might be the outcome of, of a test when someone undergoes a colonoscopy? Absolutely. So a colon, the colonoscopy, the point is to, it's a preventative exam. You're looking for polyps or any potentially precancerous lesions that can turn into cancer over time. So when you're doing the exam for screening purposes, you're looking for polyps or these growths inside the lining of the colon with the intention of removing them before they become precancerous. Great. Um, and depending on, you know, so how often do you find polyps and, and how does that help you figure out like maybe when somebody needs to come back, oh. assuming that they're, they're not cancerous? So at least 30% of the time you'll find polyps. And some people have many polyps, some people have no polyps, some other people might have one or two. And depending on the kind of polyps that they are, there are different kinds. And depending on the number of polyps is when you'll decide when to repeat the colonoscopy. Generally, the more polyps, the sooner. Okay, good. All right, well, great. So just to kind of sum that part up, because I think it's an important one. It sounds like what you're saying is the colonoscopy is quite effective. It does involve a prep. It's not, maybe not as bad as everybody <laughs> has, has heard. Um, there are some alternatives, and I mm -hmm. think what I got from you mostly was a lot of this is individual-based and mm -hmm. something to, for someone to talk to their physician about. Mm -hmm. um, some places, I, I, I actually don't know if you know about this, uh, Dr. Harris, but some places are doing colonoscopies on low-risk patients where the first time they meet their gastroenterologist is at the, on the day of their procedure. Um, we are starting to do that here. I don't know if you're in, if you've had any like that, but just is that is that common? Are you typically meeting your patients beforehand? You know, before the day of their procedure, how do you typically run your practice? So typically, I'll meet a patient in the office, get to know them, assess their risk factors, and then schedule the colonoscopy. I have been noticing that there are more and more patients that are scheduled directly for the procedure which I think is very reasonable as long as they've been assessed by a physician, their primary care doctor, their risk factors have, um, their comorbidities have been at, you know, assessed, then I think that's perfectly yeah. reasonable. Yeah, so I think the protocol that we've been working on is to identify patients who are low risk, mm -hmm. uh, who can have the procedure just with one visit, mm -hmm. um, uh, and not everybody falls into that scenario. Mm -hmm. What are some of the sort of patients that you would consider to be high risk that you definitely would need to see and kind of talk through how to deal with the prep? Typically patients that have a lot of other medical conditions, heart problems, lung problems, um, patients that might be higher risk for a procedure in the office that might need to be assessed for possible procedures at the hospital. Yeah, two other ones that I commonly come across that you may, I don't know how you, you may see them too, are patients with diabetes who are on you know, medicine for their sugars, and they're going right. to be taking this prep and figuring out how right. to manage that. Right. Do you guys do anything particular for diabetic patients? We usually have them talk to their endocrinologist beforehand if they're on insulin to talk about how to adjust their insulin mm -hmm. doses the night before while they're doing the prep. But generally, we try to accommodate them and have them proceed early okay. in the morning. Got it. And yeah. then the other group is patients on aspirin or blood thinners. Right. What do you guys do with those patients? Usually we reach out to the cardiologist or the physician that's managing their anticoagulation um, to make sure that it's safe to stop the medication. And if, if so, then you know we give instructions about when to hold the medication before the procedures. Got it, okay, great. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Just wanted to talk about some uh, dietary things that you might recommend, both in terms of just kind of healthy gut and, and bowel movements and, and regular um, 
uh, care of, of colon, but also wondering if you could talk about if there are any dietary things that you recommend in terms of prevention of colon cancer. Overall, I always recommend high-fiber diet to patients to keep their bowel movements regular, especially in patients that have diverticulosis or hemorrhoids. High-fiber diet is really the way to go. In terms of prevention of colon cancer, there have been some studies that suggest high doses of red meat might increase the risk of colon cancer. So, you know, we always recommend diet low in red meat, avoiding excessive alcohol use, tobacco smoking, and even obesity has been linked to increasing risks of colon cancer. So another reason to exercise and eat healthy. Absolutely. Chuck put this one on, <laughs> Many the, reasons. on the long list of those things. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Another thing that we didn't really talk a whole lot about today, but I think a lot of people are affected by this, who have uh, diverticulosis. So mm -hmm. I, I don't, we wouldn't spend a whole lot of time on that, but because it's so common, uh, patients will have a colonoscopy and, and will find these pockets. Maybe you could just describe mm -hmm. what that is, but more importantly, what, what do you recommend for patients when they've had that diagnosis made on a colonoscopy? Absolutely. So diverticulosis is very common. Up to 50% of people by age 50 have diverticulosis on colonoscopy. So I always reassure patients that this is a very normal, common finding. The colon is like a large uh, pipe. And over time, a weakness forms in the lining of the pipe, and there are little bulgings or outpouchings of air that you can see with when you go in with the camera. So for diverticulosis, you know, we always recommend a high-fiber diet. We don't do anything and unless it causes a problem or becomes inflamed or infected. And the notion of sort of seeds and nuts, is, is that still something that you recommend avoiding, or has that kind of been disproven as a, as a risk factor? That's been disproven as a risk factor. So I tell patients, go ahead, seeds and nuts are okay. Okay, great, yeah. good to know. Well, so in our last few minutes, um, I just wanted to, to sort of give you a chance to sort of summarize uh, how you approach colon cancer screening and any, any specific take-homes that you have for the folks that have been listening today. Absolutely. So in the last few minutes, colon cancer screening is important for everybody, you know, regardless of risk factors, regardless of having a family history, colon cancer screening is important. So I encourage patients to talk to it about their doc to the doctors, even if they're there for other reasons. You know, it's never too late for colon cancer screening. Great. And I think my message that I would just share, based on what we know about how mm -hmm. it's working at Crystal Run, is that um, it's important to get screened at the right time. We're, we're noticing that we're doing really well with screening here, mm -hmm. but a lot of people in the 45 to 50 and mm -hmm. 50 to 55 group are not getting screened on time. And because we've been seeing colon cancer diagnosed at earlier ages, that, that's an important time for us to all be thinking about that. So if you're out there and are in that group, we'd encourage you to, to follow up with your physician at Crystal Run or reach out to Dr. Harris about uh, getting colon cancer screening done for yourself. Thank you all for listening today. If you would like more information about colon cancer screening and colon health at Crystal Run Healthcare, or to book an appointment with Dr. Harris, visit our website, www.crystalrunhealthcare.com backslash specialties backslash gastroenterology. I am Jonathan Nasser, and this has been the Healthy Dose, a health and wellness podcast by Crystal Run Healthcare.